0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Oh, yeah. Better than this. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this shit. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Monday edition of the show. We're going to talk about the 2013 NFL Draft and reminisce on what went down. And Kyle, I guess we just wanted to be miserable today talking about what happened with this class.
1: Well, there's a lot of layers here in this class, right? I think we look at each one of our personal allegiances, and uh, there were some L's eaten on this day. This was very, very ugly stuff between EJ Manuel and Dion uh, Jordan. Um, but this class, by and large, has how many good football players would you qualify? Now, I'll, I'll say this: I'll say this. Jordan did the redraft for the Draft Network, mm-hmm. and a fullback went twenty-first overall. Yeah, and that was crap. Like,
0: like <laughs> Jordan, you and I got to talk, brother. <laughs> he gave him to the Browns too, right? No, he is, gave it to the Bengals? The Bengals, the Bengals, man. Like, I could have given him some better players than Kyle Hughescheck to slide into that first round. I don't know, maybe Jordan Poyer. Stop being a homer, Joe. Jordan Poyer is one of the best safeties in the league over the last
1: two years. I think the main point is this. The twenty-five and down has the names of like Brandon Williams, right. Ricky Wagner, Larry Warford, Alec Ogletree, like fine NFL football players, but top thirty players in yeah. a draft class.
0: That this ain't two thousand eleven. <laughs> no, no, this is
1: this is not the cream of the crop. Cream, the- cream of the cream of the crop, Joe. This is not the
0: cream of the crop. Um, before we continue this discussion on the twenty thirteen draft, I do need to tell you something. Mm-hmm. I uh, spent the weekend cleaning out my house, okay, and I I found my fidget spinner. I heard that. I heard that in the
1: pre-draft or pre-show. I heard it kind of zinging around back there, and I'm very happy for you. Brother, That was that was a big thing that we had last summer.
0: It is back, and it feels just as good as it it always has. Oh, so you're thriving
1: and prospering with the fidget spinner.
0: I am. I am. Well, it was grinding tape earlier today, watching – Clemson cornerback A.J. Terrell had the fidget spinner spinning, and I was feeling good about my life.
1: Yeah, Terrell's a nice little watch.
0: Yeah, yeah, not what bad. Would you have
1: been as good without the fidget spinner?
0: No, no, it enhanced my film watching experience. This is excellent. This is yeah. good to know, because yeah. I'll
1: have to dig and, and scrounge around. <laughs> see if I can scrap one up from the uh, recesses of my work desk here. I'm sure I've got one lying around.
0: Also, welcome back to the Mid-Atlantic, right?
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah, we uh, we made the long drive back. My dad got married on Friday, and we drove from Gatlinburg, Tennessee, back to Delaware, which was long, tiresome. But here's the good news, Joe. It's shorter than the drive to Charlotte. Well So now I'll have no excuses for not buzzing down to see you.
0: There you go. Um, also, can we talk about how you found a scorpion in the cabin? brother, I thought scorpions were like in the desert.
1: (laughs) What What are they doing
0: in That's kind of close to North Carolina. I went to Tennessee for
1: a week, and in the span of five days, I saw a bear and a scorpion.
0: (laughs) What the – excuse my French, what the fuck? Brother, the bear is somewhat expected, but a scorpion was was not something I would have been comfortable with.
1: Yeah, we were all hanging out and like – went downstairs it was like twelve thirty at night or something to go to bed and uh <laughs> i'm changed my sister starts pounding on the door she's like get your ass in here there's a scorpion <laughs> <laughs> i know we've had a little bit to drink tonight but like come on i didn't think I had that much and then i walk in
0: there and i'm like holy shit it's actually a scorpion <laughs> oh god uh did you kill it what, what was the fate of the scorpion
1: uh so we captured it in a glass and then it went into a Tupperware container and sat on the desk for the rest of the, the week for people that were stopping by to say hello. <laughs> to it was on exhibit. Yes, it was. It, it was a zoo exhibit. Can't climb glass. It can climb walls if there would, but it can't climb glass.
0: All right. Kyle, let's talk about the 2013 draft. Um, yes. This was that year it was like, right. The, this, the story of this draft was the offensive tackles, Eric Fisher, Luke Jokel, Lane Johnson were two of the top three picks. DJ Fluker sleeps into the, sneaks into the top 11. And in hindsight, uh, like Lane Johnson's been good. Eric Fisher's getting paid like he's good. He kind of fits that scheme. But I don't know that outside of Lane Johnson, any of those four are truly dominant offensive tackles that live up to their first half of the first round billing. Wow, he threw some shade there at uh, Eric Fisher. I have an Eric Fisher take. Well, when he was a coward and decided he would get sick and not have to go up against J.J. Watt, I kind of lost a little respect. Wow. I have a take.
1: All right. Eric, I don't. You're, you shouldn't disagree with me here. I don't think this is a blazing hot take. Eric Fisher is the second-best offensive tackle on the, the Kansas City Chiefs, correct?
0: Oh, yeah. Mitchell Swartz yeah. is better than J- Eric Fisher, yeah. yeah. Who's getting paid more?
1: I don't know off the top of my head.
0: I don't know. Probably Fisher.
1: He just because he recently signed that big extension. Right. And here's the wild thing, though. This this ended up being a really good class for offensive tackles. Just (laughs) not the ones that were picked. We got David Bakhtiari's in this Mm -hmm. class. Lane Mm -hmm. Johnson, who you mentioned, going at four to the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Eric Fisher's been fine. Uh, Teron Armstead was in this draft class. Mm -hmm. And he's probably the second best one out
0: of the group. Yeah, Bakhtiari and Armstead, I mean, those are two of the top five tackles in the game. Neither one first round, though. They didn't get this right. They didn't. (laughs) We had two in the top three, but the the best two were drafted not in the first round. Just remember, folks, the next time you have some
1: questions surrounding the legitimacy of the evaluation process, if we haven't worked for a team, this is what I'm going to point you to. Okay, this is there's this is no fine science. Nobody's going to get it hammered out and have it down to a science. And stuff like this happens all the time. Right now, I'm doing an exercise for the Draft Network where I'm looking back at the 2016 class and the players that have passed through. Now that they've been in the league three years, and some of these busts, like they they have red flags, which we'll talk about Deion Jordan in just a second. I'm sure. But if you see what you want to see, you're going to blow through the red light anyway. And that's exactly what happened with some of these players that, that were reached upon.
0: Yeah, There's no question. I think this is one of those drafts that you just look at it and you're like, oh, there's good players, right? Like Travis Kelsey, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Keenan Allen, Darius Slay, Kawan Short. But by and large, these are players that are picked in the 20 to 50 range Right, more so than the top of the first round. So there's top of the first round players when you look at them now. You're like, oh, Travis Kelsey, top ten pick, or Darius Slay, but that's not how this draft went. And I think this is a really interesting example of you don't have to have a top ten pick to get an impact player. I mean, look at some of the clear red flag guys that were in this draft. Deion Jordan
1: went three. Barkevius Mingo and the size concerns that he had, tweener status, went six. Went six anyway. Tweener status for Tavon Austin. He went eight. DJ Hayden, one-year wonder, goes 12. EJ Manuel, Mm. wasn't good to begin with, goes 16. (laughs) Yep. Jarvis Jones, superbly unathletic. Superbly.
0: 17. Superbly unathletic. (laughs)
1: Like, that, I mean, that that's a quarter of the top 20 picks where you're right. like, yeah, no shit. Like, I could have told you that this probably wasn't going to work out the way you hoped it would.
0: Yeah, this wasn't a year to have it. Well, I mean, if you got it right, then you could have gotten a premium talent. But the way that this thing stacked up, I mean, this is just a great example of how the NFL draft is a crapshoot. But, I mean, some of the signs were there and some of the risks were, were very evident, like you just pointed out with some of these players, and they still went higher in the draft. And better players went after them. It's wild, absolutely wild.
1: Um, I guess we could talk about some good players too, huh? Yeah, I'd like to. Would be a bad idea talk about the uh, DeAndre Hopkins?
0: Yeah, man. What was he? The third receiver? What, what number of receiver was he off the board? Uh, well, are we counting Tavon Austin? Okay, yeah. So it was Tavon Austin, and then Hopkins, and then Patterson. Justin Hunter, Robert Woods, Aaron Dobson, Terrence Williams, Keenan Allen. <laughs> Yikes.
1: And they he didn't even go in the – he went 27, DeAndre Hopkins went.
0: Yeah, barely a first-round pick. Kenny Stills um, picked 144.
1: I looked over for DeAndre, uh, his stats over his six years in the league, and just kind of – Looked in passing since Jordan gave him to the Miami Dolphins at three, uh, he would be inside the top two or three in every receiving category all time in Dolphins history. If you just took the production that he had with guys like Brandon Weeden yeah. and TJ Yates and Brian Hoyer throwing him the ball in 2015, when he had like 111 catches for 1,500 yards and 11 touchdowns.
0: Yeah, I mean, New college- unbelievable. Well, he's the one. He's the guy that it didn't like. You can always say. Wide receivers were limited or maybe enhanced by their quarterback. New Hopkins is a player that it didn't matter who was throwing in the football. I think for six years in a row, a different passer led Houston in passing yards, and yeah. he's still out there, you know, going 1,100 yards and you know 90 100 balls caught every single year. His production translates to every quarterback, which
1: is rare, right? Because you you've seen. How many skilled players? They they need that catalyst to to bring that greatness out of them. Hopkins is kind of a transcendent player, which you don't see a lot of at the wide receiver position. That's why, for me, I think he's such a special player.
0: Well, and that's what's interesting about him. If you think about Hopkins in every in any draft class, right? Just forget what you know about him in the NFL. If he was coming out this year, would he would people like him? You know, because he was kind of a a catch point monster, right? Like not necessarily the, the greatest athlete for the position, but his ball skills are superb. And I can imagine, I can already see the Twitter fights that would exist based on DeAndre Hopkins. Cause I think the opinions would be all over the board. Let's move on.
1: Do you have any thoughts on Jordan giving Le'Veon Bell to the Lions as a top five pick?
0: I think it makes sense. Do I don't you have a agree problem. with
1: that valuation?
0: Well, I mean, it's we, we have a blueprint for running backs going early in the draft. I don't think it's, it's – it's not a – we had that spell where it just was kind of a foreign thing, but I think it had more to do with the quality of prospects available than the valuation of the position. And I think knowing what we know now about Xavier Lathieu, Rhodes. Is that your point you would make, is that Xavier Rhodes should have went ahead? I mean he- –
1: I mean you, no, you're just talking about the valuation of the players. And I'm looking at some of these players here that I would rather have than than Le'Veon Bell. Well, I mean not, I, not to turn my nose up to Le'Veon. I, he's certainly like top fifteen player in this, this year's class, right? Top sixteen. I'd say he's probably top sixteen, kind of looking at the floor with guys like Teron Armstead and Sheldon Richardson and Kawan
0: Short in that range. I mean, I think you could look at this draft that Jordan put together and I can make a case for some of the guys he had later going higher. I mean, even his, he's a Minnesota Vikings guy. And he has Adam Thielen going 23rd after the fullback after Eric Reed, you know, like, uh, you know, so I, I think, I think that I take exception with a lot of things that, that Jordan did with his redraft, but you know, he's not really here to defend himself. So I hate to go too hard on him.
1: I'm not trying to sandbag on him. I just think there's some interesting discussion points with the way that he had it laid out.
0: Right. I don't disagree with that. How about, uh, about Kwan Short pick number 44? The, the Panthers go, start with Tulale in the first round and wind up getting a better player in the second round, doubling down at defensive tackle, getting Kwan Short, who's one of the top five defensive tackles in the game. Why don't teams do this more? Double down like this? It's interesting. You, you have a lot of good examples of it working. I mean, look, at the Redskins went RG3 and Kirk Cousins. That's just off the top of my head. But I mean, it gives you more more opportunities. You heard Howie Roseman, right, the uh, executive for the Eagles this this past year talking about. He's not that confident in his ability to land to hit on draft picks. And he wants as many, uh, many cracks at, the, at it as he can. And so. I I respect that. I mean, you give your what's the worst case scenario? You get stacked at a position and you have flexibility and
1: I mean and then you can turn around and flip those assets if you need to.
0: Potentially and at the same time you are also overlooking other other ways you can improve your football team. So, I guess I get it from from you know both sides, but sometimes it makes sense and there's examples of where teams did this and the player they got second was the better player. So, teams Start paying attention.
1: Start doubling down. I approve this message. How about Zach Ertz? Good player. I would I would argue Zach Ertz was one of the best steals of this class.
0: Second most receptions. I mean Hopkins has five twenty eight. Zach Ertz has four thirty seven. The next highest is Keenan Allen with four twenty.
1: Yeah. Now Keenan would be a lot higher if he had more durability to his
0: game. He's, he's part of the deal, right? Had some
1: injuries throughout the years.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Robert Woods, or Travis Kelsey, 410 catches and uh, Robert Woods, 345 catches. If Robert Woods didn't have to play for the Bills for four seasons, I bet you he'd be well into the 400s when it came, comes to catches.
1: I don't think I disagree with you.
0: He was always going to be a player that was better on the next team. And yeah. of course, he goes to the Rams with the ultimate opportunity for production. Right. Right. And that just is a great fit. After Le'Veon Bell, though, Kyle, kind of spinning this back to running backs, the next best running back from this class was Latavius Murray. Like, there's not a whole lot. Is that it? That's it? So the leading rushers for this draft class is Le'Veon Bell, 5,336 yards. Latavius Murray, 3,698. Then you have Eddie Lacy, Gio Bernard, Andre Ellington, Spencer Ware, Zach Stacey, and then Tavon Austin. I mean, you didn't get crap for rush. This did not re- reset the landscape of running backs in the NFL with this twenty thirteen class, despite having Le'Veon Bell in it.
1: Well, listen, between that and uh, the twenty fourteen class, which is coming up next, maybe running backs never really stopped mattering. It was just we had a run of right really really bad running back classes in back to back years. Right,
0: and even Le'Veon Bell, he he reinvented himself in the NFL.
1: Right, and that's how he found so much success because he dropped all the weight. Came a totally different player.
0: Right. So I I, I maintain that I think we just didn't have the prospects worthy of the picks and when, you know, you're not going to reach for running back, right? So uh it plays into it a little bit, but for the most part, I don't feel like we've had the prospects worthy of the picks. It's kind of been a problem. This,
1: this is a pretty fascinating class for the perspective of how, where some of the best players came from. We have Brandon Williams from Missouri Southern. Adam Thielen from Minnesota State. Mankato, right? I said that right? Mm-hmm. Arkansas Pine Bluff for Teron Armstead. A.J. Bouye even from Central Florida.
0: Travis Kelsey from Cincinnati.
1: Eric Fisher, Central Michigan.
0: The number one pick.
1: David Bakhtiari from Colorado.
0: How about Robert Alford from South Southeast Louisiana?
1: Yeah, this—I mean, this is this is as great of an example as I can think of off the top of my head. Where it, there's talent at every level in football, right now, it all might not be on an equal playing field. It all might not have equal ceilings. People are late bloomers; they kind of come up differently. But we're getting one of the best wide receivers in the NFL coming from Minnesota State, Mankato. We're getting one of the best offensive tackles from Arkansas Pine Bluff. It's, it's impressive when you lay it out in this kind of format and you get to see where the blue chip, not, I don't even want to say blue chip, where, where the best players in the class came from and the stories that they have and how they got here.
0: Now, Kyle, when you look at this draft class, I'd like to get into a discussion about a player that you uh you really were high on and they flopped. Matt Elam? Oh, really? Is that really the player you're gonna go with? I didn't expect that. I liked Matt Elam a lot as
1: like a tackler. Yeah. Uh fun tape. He was kind of that but I also didn't really know better at that point. It was very early in my my football scouting career. I hadn't even started writing reports yet at this point. But I remember watching Florida and always seeing Matt Elam around the ball, and I was like, man, he's a lot of fun. Cordell Patterson was another one for me.
0: Name that pops for me is Jonathan Cooper, a guard from North Carolina. Oh,
1: no, I don't want to talk about him yet. Brother, man,
0: listen, this was the first offensive lineman that I remember really watching and saying, oh, my God. North Carolina runs their offense through Jonathan Cooper they do whatever they can to get him play side and I mean even when they would roll the pocket they would they would move him out in front of the quarterback so he could block I'm like this guy's a game changer and I was like I'm not a big guard in the top 10 guy and the you know Ch- Ch- Chance Warmack was the tits right coming out. And, and Mike Mayock loved him. He was like the best football player in the class and all that type of stuff. And I'm like, nah, I think Cooper John May- was a better guard better?
1: At, at UNC than a- Chance Warmer.
0: Amazing football player. And then he winds up, what did he do? He started and he played in 46 games.
1: Well, he broke his leg and it, it like ruined him. Right. He was never the same after that.
0: I thought he was so good, man. What did you think about these quarterbacks? I mean, did you believe in any of them? Gino, uh, or, i mean glenn because this was i knew the bills are taking one right so i was very heavy into this class and because buddy Nick said in december that they were taking a quarterback uh the bills gm at the time and then you know i thought geno smith was the best quarterback in the class i wasn't overly high on him but i said if there's any chance for there to be a good one it's going to be geno smith
1: yeah i i um who else was in this class? Was Mike, this the, Mike
0: Glennon, Matt Barkley, Landry Jones, Ryan Nassib.
1: You know, the guy that I, I really wrote on, I I wasn't like – I wouldn't have wanted my team to take one in the first round with any of them. But Matt Barkley was the one before he got hurt with his shoulder that I liked and thought he had some redeeming qualities but really felt like that shoulder injury really like he, he never – got back to being the same player
0: see now I don't remember Matt Barkley pre-injury because I, I all I've known is when I watch him, I was like oh this guy doesn't have arm talent at all and I didn't understand the you know the he was kind of like a number one overall pick type you know that's kind of what he was thought of at, at, a, at a certain point in time and then when I got around to watching, him I was like I don't think he has the physical skills so you're referencing pre-injury Matt Barkley was it better did it, I mean did he fall off a cliff what what happened there
1: uh yeah Barkley got hurt by Anthony Barr separated his shoulder and I just thought he lost all zip that he had on his arm his
0: uh his Jets his performance against the Jets last year was nothing short of legendary he's the Bills backup quarterback I mean who I mean I guess Geno Smith is the most accomplished quarterback from this class which is not saying much at all but like you think about like still on rosters. You basically you know, EJ Manuel retired. I, Glennon's on a roster. Is uh, Matt Barkley's on a roster? I don't know if Landry Jones is. Ryan Nassib's cooked. I mean, what a crap quarterback class.
1: Yeah, this is this is brutal.
0: I like some of these DBs. I mean, Darius Slay is one of the best corners in the game. Big Ty- play, Slay. Big fan. Well, yeah, you got, you got Tyron Matthew, very high-quality football player. Logan Ryan, Duran Harmon, uh, Eric Reed, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, Kenny Vaccaro, Dres- Desmond Trufant. I mean, pretty decent crop of corners that are contributors in the league. I mean, B.W. Webbs had some production. I, I, I think for, from a, a DB perspective, that was one of the, the strengths of this class, although none of them were really high picks.
1: Joey Kyle. It's all I got brother. Hear you. Good class to look back on and take some lessons from, even if it wasn't a good class period, but, uh, that, that's the beauty of, of scouting. And this process is looking over the lessons that player profiles can teach you and ample, Examples of that for better and for worse in the 2013 NFL draft. We hope you guys enjoyed today's look back. We hope you enjoyed Jordan's work with the redraft. Uh, the the pieces that went up on the site today that went in unison with that were a lot of fun uh, to read from my perspective, being a reader and not having to write one of those. Uh, if you have hot takes for tomorrow's takes on takes, please hit us up at the gym real, at grinding the tape with the hashtag takes on takes or hashtag tattle takes. If you're turning someone in, I turned Thanks as much for in. listening. I, I saw that. <laughs> and it deserved it. Was that the Derwin one? Yeah. Worst take of the year. Yeah. We'll talk about it tomorrow, though.
0: <laughs> Don't miss Thanks it. for listening, guys. Come on back. Thank you for listening to Believe.